before we get today's episode started, I wanted to tell you guys about an exciting new project that I'm working on. It's called Recovery Revolution Podcast Network. And what that is, is it's a group of people that are working to connect you with the best recovery content possible. It is a collection of different recovery podcasts and resources, and we're all working together to promote each other's shows and, and help you guys get different perspectives on recovery. we got a lot of great shows like Chasing Heroin, The Drunken Worm Podcast, Recovery Soul Food, The One Day at a Time Podcast, The Way Out Podcast, just a bunch of great content that we're all working together now to help each other grow and promote the message of recovery and let people know that it's possible and that there's more to life than just putting down the drugs or the alcohol. So if you guys want more information about that, please check out the links in the show notes. We have a website up as well as a couple of social media profiles. I wanted to start highlighting different shows from the Recovery Revolution Podcast Network. So this week, this is a little snippet from an upcoming episode of the One Day at a Time podcast. And I think back to who I was during that time, 18, 19, 20, being that vulnerable. I just, my heart breaks for who I was oh. at that time. I did have some amazing helpers along the way, some, some you know, people really being there for me. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for that. But you're hanging by a thread on some level on it's just it's just mind-blowing and so the only I don't know if I would characterize this as a positive I guess it is but it's why I'm willing to feel the feelings I have to feel now and not drink through anything not drug through anything You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. This was years of binging and purging and damaging my body and not handling my addiction, yet functioning out in the world, getting master's degrees and, and leading peer support groups for other things. Like, I, how did I function? And I prayed, I said, God... I, I'm such a severe addict, I can't stop this behavior, and it is going to kill me if I don't get help. But I really can't do this. I'm too tired, I'm too desperate, and I would like to die. My guest today is named Lisa Sarjes. She is a professor, an author, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, my name is Lisa Sarjes. I'm an adjunct professor of religion and I also teach writing. I've written a book called Diary of a Fat Girl, How I Lost 140 Pounds, Overcame Binge Eating Disorder, and Learned to Love Myself After Weight Loss Surgery. I go to Al-Anon meetings. I believe very much in the 12-step recovery program, and I know they say it's one day at a time, but I take it one minute at a time because life happens fast. Mm -hmm. It definitely does happen fast. And I love that you, that you say that, you know, that sometimes one day at a time is too broad of, of a view and we have to break it down hour by hour, minute by minute, whatever it takes for us to be in that right headspace to be able to deal with life on life's terms. Cause it can be so overwhelming at times. And I'm excited to hear more about your book, more about your journey 
yeah, I just, I, I haven't had that many conversations with people about overeating, binge eating. Um, but I know there's a lot of parallels in people's stories I've talked to before about binge eating versus substance use. So I know there's going to be a lot of things that we have in common. So I'm excited to hear more. My experience with addiction is that anytime I feel something uncomfortable, loneliness, sadness, desperation, depression, I reach. And I know that's an expression. We reach for our uh, drug of choice. And it's always been food for me. Uh, It's a way to leave the present moment. It's a way to punish myself. It's a way to go numb. And people sometimes think that binge eating is just you, you want the pleasure of the food and, and, you know, it's, it's gluttony or something. It's not because I'm certainly not really enjoying anything past the first few bites. Once you've eaten three bites of, I don't know, whatever chocolate cake, you're not enjoying it anymore. You know what it tastes like. Now it's just, (laughs) you know, looking for that dopamine hit while you're causing such pain in yourself. And I have suffered with this addiction for decades and I would not be on the recovery path without um, 12 step programs and the day to day accountability, self-awareness and growth. If you wouldn't mind, maybe we could kind of rewind a little bit and go back into the past and you can paint a picture for us of what it was like then and then what that moment was where you realized I can't continue living this way. I need help. I, I, I got to change my life. You know, something's got to give, you know, what was, what was that like? Yeah. So I grew up in a household with a functioning alcoholic dad, a hardworking man, but uh, he would come home and it was um, drinks that helped him, helped him to unwind and deal with my mother who had the patterns of what could have been borderline personality or narcissism. She was very erratic, um, very critical, very difficult to please. So I felt like I grew up in a state of terror. I was bullied at school because I was a little odd. I was a nerd and I wore hand-me-downs and I don't know, a little chubby. So I was bullied at school And then I came home and I was bullied by my mother and I just was in a state of vigilance and fear and walking on eggshells all the time. And when you're lit, when you're little, you don't know how to escape it. I'd escape into my head and to make believe and to play. And if I could, I would binge eat if I could get a hold of the food. My mother was very controlling. So that was hard. But anytime that I was out of her uh, control, you know, I was, I was eating. And then as I got older and I was working and I could earn money, you know, I would spend money on uh, overeating. I could devour a whole pizza with, uh, you know, a, a big thing of Diet Coke very easily. You, you choose something soft like that. It can go down. People are like, how could you eat a whole pizza? I'm like, I would eat a whole pizza and two Entenmann's cakes. I had been stretching out my stomach since I was a little girl. I was never really an alcoholic. I never drank to get that feeling of relief. It was always food. So by the time I reached age 23, I was dangerously fat. I knew I had a binge eating disorder. I had tried Overeaters Anonymous. I wish I had stuck with it. 
sometimes you have to find the right group. Every group is different. It has a personality. There's different people. And I didn't know better. And I thought, well, I guess it's not for me because one group didn't work out. And this is before the internet. And I went to the library. I had heard about stomach stapling. This is what, 1987. And I did research in a library about weight loss surgery. And I hunted and I hunted until I found someone in the United States, because it was brand new at the time, doing the, the what we call the lap band. But it wasn't lap. It was full incision band. And I was one of the first in the country to get the adjustable one. Uh, and I got the surgery. Uh, but without the healing of the addiction, like, sure, I lost 100 pounds in a year. It was great because I just threw up every day. I would overeat and it would come right back up. It was a miracle, I thought. I'm like, oh, good. Finally, I'm not doing damage to my body while I overeat and purge daily, multiple times per day. But because of that habit, I damaged the insides. And I don't know how many revisions I had. I was in such a state of depression and I'm looking back at my medical records. I don't know. Until finally the band just didn't work. I ate around it. So I just got fatter and fatter and I started to have severe pain from, from the, the daily, you know, overeating and purging. So forward fast to 2006, this was years of binging and purging and damaging my body and not handling my addiction yet functioning out in the world, getting master's degrees and, and leading peer support groups for other things. Like I, how did I function? I look back on it so desperate. I got up to over 400 pounds and you know how we hit rock bottom with our addictions. Um, when I say over 400 pounds in 2006, there were no scales to weigh you over 400 in the hospital, anywhere I went, you would have to go to the zoo to get on a scale or a weigh station for a truck. So how heavy was I at my heaviest? I don't know. But I knew I needed help. But the rock bottom happened when because of the severe overeating and consumption of sugar and ignoring and not treating my type two diabetes, your body's full of sugar, all kinds of microbes and germs just thrive on that sweet blood. And I broke out in carbuncles. Carbuncles are, they're like cysts that have multiple roots. And I was covered in them. There's a picture of it somewhere uh, on the internet. I don't know how I, I posted it, but there they were. High fever, uh, near septic. And I didn't want to get medical attention because I didn't want to be uh, scolded and put down for being so heavy. But I was going to die and I reached out to my mother. I'm like, Ma, I think I need a nurse or something to come and help me. I, uh, I'm so weak. Well, that was her cue. She picked me up. I was in my pajamas, bundled in a blanket. She, she says, well, let's just go to the family doctor and he'll prescribe the nurse. Well, the family doctor took one look at me and he said, um, 
Would you like to go to the emergency room in an ambulance or would you like your mother to drive you? I was going to die if I didn't get attention. Now I'm in the in an isolated room because I have open sores all over me. It wasn't that I was going to make anybody sick with the sepsis. It's that I, I was just so vulnerable. People would have to come in covered in the hazmat suits. And uh, it took multiple antibiotics. I looked at the uh, hospital bill, $3,000 a day wow. worth, of, uh, worth of antibiotics dripping into me to save my life. And I prayed. I said, God, I, I'm such a severe addict. I can't stop this behavior. And it is going to kill me if I don't get help. But I really can't do this. I'm too tired. I'm too desperate. And I would like to die. But there's a chance that you'll help me. So I'm going to sleep on it. And in the morning, I'll let you know what I want to do. But if I choose to live, you have to help me. And I went to sleep and woke up <laughs> and said, no, I'm going to live. Um, I love my friends and family too much. I love my cats too much. But I probably thought of the cats first, knowing me. <laughs> I can't leave my loved ones. I don't want to hurt them by dying. And that began my journey toward trying to get well. So it was another weight loss surgery. I uh, went to, I had to go to a specialist. Nobody would help me. They're like, you have this lap band in you. That's literally digging into your stomach. You're full of adhesions and scar tissue. You're going to die on the table. We don't want you because it messes up their statistics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no weight loss surgeon wants to do surgery on someone who's not going to make it. Plus, look, I ate around the lap band surgery. I was going to eat around whatever they did next. I, until I found Daniel Davis, God bless him. He's up in Connecticut now. I said, doctor, I'm such a difficult case. No one will help me. He said, oh, I'll help you. I specialize in difficult. I'm like that's the voice of God. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit right there. And he did it. <laughs> and he didn't open me up. He was determined to do it laparoscopically. Well, I, I woke up in the uh, ICU because he almost lost me on the table. But I'm like, nope, I, I was I was never afraid, doctor. I prayed and God led me to you. He, he wasn't going to let me die on the table. And, you know, they roll their eyes. Okay. And it began the journey of um, putting myself back together. Now, this is 2006. You know how long it's taking taken me to put myself with the help of, of God and groups and to put myself back together? I lost 140 pounds, was all excited, wrote the book, and started to gain the weight back because the healing that I thought I had done wasn't enough. And so that set me on, you know, the healing path of, all right, I guess I have to heal my heart, my soul, my addiction. I can't go back to where I was. So you wrote the book and then you said you started gaining the weight. So was there ever a moment when you started to feel like that imposter syndrome of like, I wrote this book to help other people, to inspire other people with their binge eating struggles. And then here I am, you know, having this relapse and, and regaining this weight. And did you ever have that moment? Cause I've had those thoughts 
with just having the podcast where I've, I've had those thoughts of like, Oh, I could have a drink or whatever. And then I'm like, but then this would be, I feel like I'd be fraudulent almost, or then I'd have to like release an episode and tell people that I messed up or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, did you have those, those thoughts of like, I'm a fraud now, or people aren't going to take this book seriously because, you know, I had this because I'm like backsliding and, and also, I'm I'm curious what you did differently when you decided to actually take it. I don't want to say take it seriously, but when you realized that that what you had been doing wasn't enough, and you needed to get to those root causes. Uh, yes, I have severe imposter syndrome in every aspect of my life, and um, anybody who happened to follow me, I had a blog that I posted every day. You know, I took that down to try to turn it into books. I turned it into one so far. There's another coming. Uh, but I stopped making videos. I'm like, well, I, I, what am I going to talk about if I'm still using food as comfort, if I'm still reaching for food when I'm stressed? Mm -hmm. So I stopped talking about it. I considered um, writing a book called Still Fat After All That about the struggles of maintaining because it happens to a lot of weight loss surgery people who use social media for this first year or two and ah, oh, the weight loss and everything's great. But the surgery was doing the work. And so it took me a while to kind of solve it. And uh, I wanted to still overeat. And sometimes I still do, but with food that won't cause weight gain, you can eat as much celery as you want. Nothing's going to happen and you get the crunch out of it. So I am still working. I think being accountable and saying that on multiple videos. Uh, so I don't feel like the imposter, but um, the weight loss part of it, like I got down to, let's say I got down to around 240 something, 250. I'm still considered a candidate for weight loss surgery. I've had multiple ones. I'm not doing it again, but I looked at my, um, because everything's online now, all your charts, everything, we're just plugged into AI, whether we like it or not. And there's my profile and it said severely obese. I'm like, I lost 150 pounds. What do you mean severely obese? Well, I am still according to the medicine. So I'm like, all right, what can I do? Uh, and I started, um, keto. I'm like, all right, if I eat high protein, then I could eat a lot and not gain weight. You know, I'll just eat meat and cheese. Well, cold cuts full of sugar, full of, and a lot of other garbage, by the way, and I'm not making fun of cold cuts. I'll still eat them, but uh, you know, I was leaning on them. Uh, and cheese, you know, I would always have a food bag with me because the idea of intuitive eating, well, I'm just going to carry food with me. If I'm not hungry, I'm not going to pull into the, uh, to the fast food drive through and eat. Started gaining again. Like, What is going on? And uh, a lovely friend who happens to be my permanent makeup artist. She says, well, you know, I fast. And I'm thinking, well, that's eating disordered, fasting, all that not eating. And then my priest, who's a dear friend, talked about fasting. And then fasting is popping up all over the social media, intermittent fasting. And 
a friend was doing it. I'm like, I am so petrified of my own hunger. And yet part of me knows I need to fast. I need to experience hunger and not stress about it. I need to do without the comfort of food throughout the day. When I say comfort of food, I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to starve. I'm just saying not to reach for food as comfort. And so I learned, this is such a sacrifice, you have no idea, to drink my coffee black instead of sipping dessert throughout the day. <laughs> I would put so much cream in it. And of course, the Splenda and the Sweet and Low, there was so much cream. How many calories was I drinking of, of cream? Mm-hmm. And so, and this is recent. This started um, shortly after the new year. Uh, the imposter syndrome got to me. It's like, I have this beautiful book. I'm not promoting it because I feel like I'm too fat to do so. I'm still overeating. I haven't actually solved the binge eating disorder. I kind of halfway solved it. Halfway to skinny, halfway to healthy. I started up with Al-Anon. I haven't moved on to Overeaters Anonymous, but I absolutely adore Al-Anon. Uh, what a support system. And that's the healing that I believe um, I'm benef benefiting greatly by is, is 12 step and being hungry all blessed day. I am hungry. It's getting a little easier to fast all day. And then at night to eat, but not like binge till I pass out. And I've been, um, I've been 80% good at that. Well, I think, I think we all can suffer from that imposter syndrome at times. I don't think that any of us are that unique that we're the only person that's ever felt that way. Like I, I feel that way at times too. And, and I think that there's something that people can relate to in your story with just you being genuine and vulnerable and you saying like, Hey, I I'm, I'm still struggling. I still haven't gotten to that end goal. I haven't achieved everything that I want to achieve. I think that there's something that people can relate to in that because if it was, because most of the books and, and stories that we hear are people that, you know, they, they started this journey. They didn't ever make any mistakes. And, you know, here I am, I'm the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company and, I have my own private jet and all this stuff. And you don't ever see the real struggles and the real life moments of I'm struggling. This is difficult. You know, I'm not where I want to be. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Cause I know that it, it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I want to be. I, I totally get it. Like that, that's, that's tough. And that's so vulnerable. So I appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. Yes. Um, perfectionism is one of my enemies. If I don't mm. do it perfect, then I shouldn't exist. If I'm not perfectly well, I shouldn't talk about getting well. That's, that's not it. You know, we, we just have to be okay with where we're at and be willing to be vulnerable and, and share our experiences and, and try to offer help to other people, no matter you know, if we're where we think we should be. And, and in all honesty, I think we're where we're supposed to be. You know, I don't think that, that these things happen for by, by mistake. I think that you're where you're supposed to be and that somebody's going to be listening and be like, Hey, 
I have a similar story. Like I, I did well and then I backslid and now I'm ashamed to, you know, post videos and, and be real with people and let them know that I'm still struggling. And, and you touched on something with the 12 step that I think is so crucial in recovery. And it's that community, you know, you found your community in Al-Anon, you found the people that support you and uplift you and that you can do life with. And, and, you know, I think that that is such a crucial part of, of recovery is community purpose. You know, there's, there's just several things that I've seen over the years of doing interviews and, and talking with people. And those are just some of the things that I see that no matter what the program is or whatever the modality, like those are things that are so, so crucial if we want that, that long-term sustainable recovery. And people are also a cushion when we fall Mm -hmm. to say things like I've been there. It's okay. You can get back up. You're fine. We're not doing a you know, like, oh, I, I've been sober for 60 days and now I fell off and now I have to start at zero again and I'm a loser. And it's just like, it, no, don't do not do the numbers until you're ready and you don't even have to. Nobody's telling me I have to. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love that. Well, Lisa, we're getting towards the end of the time, so I would love if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners if they're interested in finding your book, if they're interested in following along in your journey on social media, those kind of things. Where can people find you? So just Google Lisa Sarges, S-A-R-G-E-S-E. You'll see everything. I'm on pretty much every social media app. I do make a video every day on YouTube, Prof Lisa Sarges. The book is on Amazon and the audio book version is me reading it. I wanted that to be my baby. And I keep it very reasonably priced. So Diary of a Fat Girl on Amazon. Uh, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. YouTube, Facebook. I don't know if I left anything out, but if you Google me, I'm there. And um, you can always communicate with me. I usually put my email in things. So if you have any requests of uh, topics you would like me to cover on YouTube or, or any of the reels I make, please do reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, do you have any closing thoughts or anything you would, you know, maybe share with somebody that's struggling or, or considering this weight loss journey and, and, you know, wanting to change their life, but, you know, maybe on the fence. Remember a time when you were happy. It doesn't matter how long ago it was and let that give you hope. It's a little light in your darkness. Crawl toward the light. It's there and it wants you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. It was a pleasure. Lisa, thank you again for coming on the show today and being so vulnerable when you're sharing your story. I really do appreciate that. If you guys are interested in finding out more about Lisa, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. Recovery Revolution Podcast Network.